you kick down walls and anyone who tells you you can't you take your fears your insecurities your worries you roll them all up into a ball you turn those son bitches sideways and stick them straight up that candy out pick your goal and stick fucking to it you wishy-washy motherfuckers i can't fucking stand you I wanted to make sure that out of the 24 hours of the day, that I don't waste one single hour. Those hours were too precious. And so there I just want to tell people, don't give me this thing, I have a difficult time, I the time and I don't have time for this and I don't have that. You have time. You make the time. And now, welcome to the Be Informed Live Fit Podcast, sponsored by fitnessinformant.com. And he kill it while you sitting down, bitch, about how I triple my fan base now worth bench. Can't say there's worse bitch. Alright, everybody, what is going on? Welcome inside of the Informant Podcast. I am your host, Fitness Informant Founder, CEO. Ryan Buck, I want to thank you all for tuning in. If this is your first time tuning in, we hope you enjoy the podcast today. Featuring King Moby, CEO of Olympus Labs, aka Olympus Lifestyle. Moby. A lot of people in the world probably don't know who Moby is. I know Moby personally. I've met Moby several times. I consider Moby a good friend of mine here within the sports nutrition industry. But what I'm trying to do is showcase who and what they are and what they stand for and what their brand's about for you, the people who actually purchase these products. I think it's super important for our consumer bases in the world, the supplement nutrition buyer, to relate and understand the people behind the scenes, specifically the CEOs of the company, the people who wanted to start the companies to help others live better versions of their life through better supplementation in this case. And Olympus Labs, in in a word to describe the brand, they're innovative. And they've been innovative since I have uh, I've known the brand. Now they've come out and they came out on the scene several years ago, more of a hardcore brand, doing more of the uh, I wouldn't call them pro hormones, but like muscle builders, and and they had Rain and I Am Supreme, very extreme pre-workouts that people raved about and loved, and they're changing their tune a little bit here as they move into later half 2019, and today we discuss essentially where has Olympus Labs or Olympus Lifestyle been, and where are they going, because they made a lot of noise in 2018, coming out with uh, Superior Protein, which is one of my favorite protein powders uh, in the history of protein powders. It tastes great. It has a solid profile that they made. And now we don't hear a lot from the brand. At least in the first half of 2019, we haven't heard a lot from Moby and the brand. But I think, and by think, I mean I know that is going to change back half here of 2019 when we, when, we, when we venture on, right? We're already halfway through 2019 or over halfway through 2019, which is absolutely crazy. But I was in New Jersey, as some of you know, several weeks ago, I went to New Jersey, New York on an FI appreciation tour of sorts, so I stopped by Moby's house. That's how close Moby and I are. Moby, our friends, and he invited me over to his house, and we sat down and we recorded this podcast, and Moby and I wanted to record a podcast for a while. Moby is a very interesting guy in the fact that he's super passionate about sports nutrition. He's very innovative in his mindset. He loves to think about science and research and ingredients. He loves the digital marketing front, and he does. I think he runs a really good brand, a very good company. They have great products. I think they just need to figure out who they were as a brand, and, I, and I, I'm confident moving forward that they have um, you know, a brand identity that they're happy with and that I think is going to resonate with a lot of people out there. So you're going to find a lot in this podcast on basically Moby's inspirations, how and why he started Olympus Labs or Olympus Lifestyle, and really what he wants to do with this brand here in 2019 and 2020. Um, 
If you enjoy the podcast and this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button, whether it be on iTunes, Spotify, iTunes, etc. Leave us a review and help out the algorithm. It helps more people discover this podcast as we have several hundred downloads a week on each episode, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, so thank you guys and girls very much. This week's Pumped Up segment of the week is being brought to you by Built Fast Formula's award-winning Blitz. Pump Igniter. Not only is Vasoblitz the winner of our 2018 Shield of Excellence Supplement Award for Best Pump Product, it is also the first nitrate formula fully disclosed with 30 servings, not scoops. When Vasoblitz is consumed daily, even on your off days, it will last you a full month. All this for only $34.99 and as a special offer to our listening audience, use coupon code INFORMANT and save 15%. I am pumped up this week about our 2019 Transformation Challenge. $10,000 in prizes and supplements and gift cards are going to be given out to the three top place finishers in both the male and female division. Now, last year, I was very happy with the turnout on the Transformation Challenge. As of the recording of this podcast, the challenge has started, we are on their way, and we have over 700 entrants in this year's challenge, which is unbelievably humbling. It's amazing that 700 people stepped up and said, you know what, Ryan, you know what, Fitness Informant, I want to make a change. In eight weeks, I want to transform. And I'm telling you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're part of the Transformation Challenge, listen very closely. Fall in love with the progress, not this perception of perfection. I said this all the time. I think many of people who get into this competition or this challenge, they have a dream or a visual of what they want and what they should look like after eight weeks. Listen, If you don't accomplish this perception of perfection that you have in your mind, don't worry about it. If you have any ounce of progress, any ounce of progress, you fucking won. The idea in this challenge is to motivate, to inspire, to help you make better decisions, inform decisions, to live better versions of your life through fitness and nutrition. And that is what we are about. If you join our self-made Barbell Brigade group over at Facebook, you're going to find a lot of motivation, a lot of inspiration. And my God, I cannot, I'm, I'm taken back by the engagement. The amount of people posting their before photos. And I understand it can be nerve-wracking. It can be hard to post those pictures. It is. It's not easy. I give everybody who posted their before picture a ton of credit because I know it's not easy. But remember this, eight weeks. You have eight weeks to just dedicate yourself to commit yourself to better nutrition, to consistent fitness, and to make that progress. I've never been so pumped up about a challenge in my life. And this is humbling, like I said. I can't thank the sponsors enough who came on board to contribute product for people, to entice more people to join this competition. Because I know at the end of the day, if we were just offering a free challenge with no prizes, we wouldn't get 700 people that made made a commitment to do this. So it does entice them to make a, a decision to make a commitment to join the 2019 $10,000 Transformation Challenge. And we're ready to go. And I'm part of it too. I'm going to bulk over the next eight weeks, try to get as big as I can before the 2019 Olympia in Vegas, which is going to be amazing, by the way. We have a lot of cool stuff planned for the Olympia. No, we're not doing a booth. It's a fucking waste of money. But we'll be there representing. If you see us, say hi. But I'm just, I'm, I'm humbled. I'm, I'm so happy that you all that are listening to this podcast, if you're in the challenge, you took the oath and you took the step forward to say, you know what? Time for a change. The challenge runs from this following Monday, which is uh, July 22nd, all the way through September, I believe it's the 13th, uh, which is the Friday, and then uh, the after pictures will be submitted, and then a panel of judges from the sponsors and here at Fitness Informant will select the top three finishers in each female and male category. Our Genius Moment of the Week is being brought to you by the Genius Brand. The Genius Brand offers high-quality supplements with scientifically proven, clinically-dosed, all-natural ingredients. 
With a blatant disregard for profit margins, the Genius brand focuses on creating innovative, industry-leading wellness supplements to help you live an active, healthy, and long-lasting life. Supplement smarter today. Check out full reviews and news of the Genius brand at fitnessinformant.com. The Genius Moment of the Week, it pertains to timing on creatine. I get people asked all the time, what time of the day should I take my creatine? Well, understand what creatine, monohydrate, or creatine does. It restores ATP production, and the body helps produce more energy, helps with strength gains, strength outputs, etc. So for me, the best time to take creatine is whatever time you can be consistent with it. Like if you're going to take it pre-workout, great. It could help induce bigger pumps. It can. If you're going to take it post-workout like I do, I take it in my post-workout protein shake. It's just easy and then it helps restore, uh, basically helps repair and recover your muscles. You can take it at 6 o'clock at night if you want to, even if you worked out in the morning. Just take it every day. Five grams of creatine monohydrate per day. Creatine HCL is anywhere from one to two grams. I'm still a bigger fan of creatine monohydrate. If you can stomach it, that's good. Bloating on creatine monohydrate is actually a good thing, not a bad thing, so don't worry about that. Um, but if you have discomfort or diarrhea, because it can happen, then you might want to look at a different form of creatine. And just research over at fitnessinformant.com backslash ingredients on that creatine version and how much you should have per day. Moby, King Moby, Olympus Labs, Olympus Lifestyle. I, like I said, I was stoked to sit down with Moby in his home and, and to have this podcast because he's a very interesting guy. And uh, once you get to know him, I mean, him and I be, have become good friends. We're wired the same way. We consistently and constantly work our fucking asses off. And I respect the hell out of that. And I know he's excited about what's coming out with Olympus Lifestyles. You can see it when he talks in this podcast. Um, and if you have any feedback on it, like I said, reach out to the show. You can reach out to me directly, Ryan at fitnessinformer.com, through the fitnessinformer.com. Facebook pages and or Instagram page. You can reach out via Snapchat, whatever is convenient for you, because we are on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. I'm gonna sit back, relax, and let you guys all enjoy King Moby, uh, CEO of Olympus Labs, and uh, we hope you enjoy the show. The BAR Breakfast at the Ready is finally here. The world's first protein bar made with real cereal pieces from some of your favorite cereals and the best cereals of all time. This bar has 20 grams of protein, only 20 grams of carbohydrates, with five of them coming from sugar, and four grams of fat, 190 delicious calories that you can fit in at any time. Any person can take this bar, man, woman, child, whether you're working out, you're training to build muscle, or you just need a healthy snack throughout the day, the BAR is your solution. Go to redcon1.com and order the BAR breakfast at the ready right now. <laughs> With the amount of hard work that I put in, I need a reputable brand. I absolutely love this stuff. The energy is amazing. The pumps are ridiculous. The flavor is absolutely delicious. I was blown away by the amount of energy, the muscle pump. It keeps me going throughout the day. Take your workouts to the next level. The energy was so crazy for me. Really gives me the boost I'm needing in the morning. You will train harder. You will see better pumps. You will go longer in the gym. The quality of the ingredients makes a difference. Try Rise, you're gonna love it, I guarantee it. Their products are top of the range and I'm very proud to be a part of Team Rice. For the last two decades, we have been the best kept secret of the supplement industry. We've kept our heads down and worked. We pioneered full label transparency and full therapeutic doses because we believe that truly hard work requires truly effective tools. Two decades is a long time to commit to one pursuit, but when you act with purpose and become centered in yourself, eventually you realize that you were born and bred for this.
things you once thought impossible, you now do every day. We don't like the easy way, just doesn't feel right. We'll take the long, hard road over a shortcut any day. It takes longer, sure, but in the end, you know you earned it. And with the right team behind you, pushing yourself further than you've ever been will be just another afternoon doing what you love most. What's up, dude? How are you? What's going on, man? We're here with King Moby. I wanted to say that for the longest time on this podcast uh, of Olympus Labs, which you can correct me if I'm missaying it, but it's Olympus Labs, King Moby. A lot of people don't necessarily see the faces behind the brand. Here's an opportunity for you to come on and tell your story, which I think is a fascinating one. So for the next 45 minutes, those watching on YouTube or listening via iTunes or Spotify or however are going to understand a little bit more about you as a person, not necessarily 100% beyond the brand and, and like not... I don't want to focus on Olympus the entire time because I think your story is super inspiring for people that are listening to this podcast or watching as well, and we'll obviously touch on the brand. So, fitness, supplements, why? Yeah, I mean, it's probably related to just simply having a personal interest and it being such an integral part of uh, helping lead me, helping lead me to to a place in my life where I needed help and, you know, had an issue um, growing up and, you know, just being personally very, very skinny sure. and struggling to put on weight no matter how many calories I absorbed. Like, I understand, you know, that, you know, a pound is equal to like 3,500 calories, but it seemed like even if I had 10,000, I just wasn't gaining any weight. Sure. Yeah. So, so what, what, uh, how old were you when you started actually using sports nutrition supplements and products? I first started using them in, in, in high school. Okay, so teenage years. Yeah. And uh, if we, for those watching or listening, like you're 30 years old right now? Yeah, 30. So go back to your teenage years, 15 years ago. Imagine what was on the market 15 years ago. Right, well, do you remember some of the first products that you used? Yeah, absolutely. What were they? I think the first pre-workout I ever had was BSN No Explode. Which, I mean, was literally the first pre-workout that I think anybody in the world took. It, was, yeah. it created the category of pre-workouts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, fast forward now, you guys have a phenomenal one. But... Obtaining a pre-workout 15 years ago wasn't as simple as it was today. You can't just go to Amazon Bodybuilding OlympusLabs.com. You had to go to an actual physical retail store to purchase it. So what options did you have in your teenage years to actually go out and do this? Honestly, like when I first started lifting, um, I had never even had a coffee in my life, you know, and let alone heard about a pre-workout. Sure. You know, and uh, I guess um, I first learned about supplements through an acquaintance in the gym, you know, um, actually, you know, he saw that I was grinding in the gym, um, doing chest like five days a week, you know, overtraining in a, mm -hmm. in a sense, but not making any progress, developed a personal relationship, and he helped guided me um, and told me about this local nutrition store, okay. and, uh, you know, uh, from there, picked up a few marketing materials, you know, and even at that point, didn't understand the function of a pre-workout or what it was. All I knew at that point was, is that I had a goal and whatever it took to get there, um, apart from doing the hard yeah. work and eating, which I was, I would be down to do it. And, and give and take, you know, at that point, um, since 14, I had two jobs, you know, in high school, I was 
working at King Supermarket and you know working aftercare with underprivileged children and mentoring them and so I had my own means to my own income and at that point you know I didn't really have a point in saving so whatever the budget was whatever I had to do I was open to do it as long as it was healthy and not you know and, and safe and so went there you know um, looked at the catalog person instructed me that you know protein pre-workout staple sort of supplements were the best to begin with right and then as I started you know getting myself immersed into it I saw that there was a big social group of kids at my high school also in the same interest mm -hmm. group um, I come from one of the high schools that has I would say some of the most you, you would go to high school and then after school activity would be to meet each other at the gym okay. you know and so like um, so that was your extracurricular unorganized not by the school but just by a friendship yeah group? oh yeah that was because of no we all went there like on our own but it was because we had a shared interest and um, honestly I would be in like economics class or computer classes and I would see kids on you know websites like bulknutrition.com mm -hmm. you know I went through my fair share of trying products by marketing claims and branding claims and to be honest you know um, as as I started you know um, I, as I started transitioning through just hearing about products and taking them based off of recommendation I started you know to use the internet more in terms of learning about you know the benefits like right. not truly like just based off a of marketing copy but based off of like why and I found you know great joy in doing that and you know having an interest in something whether it be like you know having ADHD or whatever but when you're interested in something you get so dialed in and unfortunately when you're not you dial out but I was interested and so I would learn and I, I, I began to see you know certain patterns you know like uh, there was a product uh, you know um, not even for any competitive purpose at the time it was called Nano Vapor mm -hmm. and Nano Vapor you know was marketed as a post-workout and right. You know uh, the holy grail of like supplements. You know, like all other muscle tech supplements were. Right. You know, eight pounds of muscle. Right. Like, who doesn't brand. want that? Yeah. yeah. Like when you read eight pounds of muscle, I was like, damn, I want that. They right. Still, like they still make that claim yeah. today. <laughs> so, but when you would go look at the back, and it'd be like you know a five gram uh, you know prop blend with a million ingredients listed with that infinity symbol next yeah. to them, I, I, I began to figure out that look something is up here sure you know like I, I started like it started hitting me all at once that these ultra concentrates and the marketing of such were starting to contradict what science acclimated towards right, right. like like it was it was more about uh, if, if you need three grams of beta alanine then how could you have a two gram pre-workout with beta alanine in it and receive the full benefit mm -hmm. another thing I started noticing is is that why was there creatine in my pre-workout if I'm not taking pre-workout every day, then why is creatine even in here? Joe Donnelly would tell you you're full of shit right now for not having creatine in your yeah. pre-workout, but we don't listen to Joe. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would take a, you know, uh, rather take creatine in my staple supplement. Yep. Yeah. Because I want to have freedom of choice with my pre-workout. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to take it or not take it. And, you know, another thing is, is I want to know the doses as well. So my personal preferences led me to first the basic understanding that, hey, look, I'm starting to get a level of understanding and as I'm visiting the store, I'm starting to volunteer and aid customers who have questions and answer them better than sure. sales staff. So, you know, here's a 18-year-old me going up to my dad, who's a salary man, and being like, why don't we franchise, you know, one of these stores? Like, because this store was very popular in sure. our high school. People were wearing the t-shirts. It was branded well. And at the time, it had a lot of franchises. And so, you know, my dad was hesitant at first, but 
you know, uh, eventually, you know, we, we, we put down the funds and opened up our physical location without a real business plan. Mm -hmm. Our whole model was in the beginning to recruit, you know, just referrals. Yeah. You know, people in our school, people in the community, people from neighboring towns. And thankfully in New Jersey, um, there's a certain part of Morris County that is pretty affluent. So it was in a good location for a good price right across the post office. Nice. And, you know, um, it did well, you know. And at that time, it was more about the passion than it was about the transaction, right? Mm -hmm. And I always, you know, reflect back on this and I always think about what it is that got me into the industry and it was truly the passion and the interest of challenging myself and my mind in not only producing but developing, right? Like bringing new yeah. ingredients, seeking out what is not already out there and going through the obstacles that it takes to bring certain things out there and, you know, with the HSEA compliance mm -hmm. and grass certification, you know. But at that time, it was more about passion. And, you know, um, it, was, it was great to see people from my uh, college come, from my, you know, my neighboring town, right. my town, my friends, my family, you know, ended up being that some of my, you know, my, 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 my friends from the community were the ones who wanted to, like, compare prices to, like, you know, uh, what was the website at that time? Supplement Warehouse? Uh, Supplement Warehouse is one of them. Where they, sure. got you with the, yeah. where they got you with the $10 or $15 shipping, but the very low mat price. Yep. So they'd go to the $21.99, and then they'd be like, match that. And I'd be like, hey, why don't we go through the checkout process yeah. a little bit? Add the, you know, all the different onuses of like, you know, the, the, the $10 shipping, the $5 tax, this, this, that, that. And be like, look, we'll match that. And, you know, like, but there were a lot of people who came in and really appreciated the, you know, the value. And one of my greatest skills that I realized is, is that if somebody had the intention to come in and spend $50, but had the means to spend $400, sure as hell bet that they were going to leave spending $400. Right. Because the way that I broke it down, the way that I made it, and the passion that I exerted was demonstrated within them. And, you know, they were recurring customers. It wasn't even a one-time transaction. So retention was very important to me at that time as well, right? Like I wasn't yep. in there to just bullshit a sale and get money. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you obviously had to have the lights on, right? So you needed a sale, but you didn't bullshit it. You spent time to educate the consumer, it sounds like, from the days of 18-year-old Moby was in there at, at, a, at a store in which at one point you did not even own, educating their consumers helping make that transaction. Yeah. And what I'm interested in is because, like, if you, if you rewind 12 years when we were 18 years old, the information, the plethora of information that existed then is not what it is today. You had bodybuilding.com forms, which was probably a very prevalent way to get information. Um, the research studies that we have now, there might not have been a great websites in which to publish them. So how did you find that information in which you actually trusted what you were reading? I think from a very early age, I was just exposed. Like, at the same time we had the store, I had an internship with my dad who worked at um, FMC. Okay. And FMC, uh, he was in biopolymer. So um, they were working on some issues in the food science lab where I was assigned, and they were working on sedimentation, like why do certain, you know, uh, stability issues? Mm -hmm. Why do certain products have stability issues? How can we improve these stability issues? How can we improve this? How can we improve that? And that was the certain level of in, like inquisitive thinking that, 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 that led me into the industry itself. No matter how primitive it is, I've never looked at the industry in its current status form. I've always looked at it as how it should be as opposed to other functional industries because I'll be the first to say that supplement industry is 
a very highly dysfunctional industry in its current <laughs> state and form. Yeah. Like, and it's because of like all the contradicting factors and cofactors that revolve around it. And you look at other evolved industries and they're just so much more evolved. And how do you do that? You have to just look out outside and you have to look from, you know, in a, both a subjective and an objective, like, you know, um, viewpoint of how things are and how they should be. And right. because of, you know, uh, people may not know, I have a, you know, an undergrad in history, right? And so it's the combination of being, I believe, a Sagittarius, right? Like being like adventurous and curious and then, you know, being exposed to the food science lab and how the industry was and prop blends and the concentrates. And so I'm, I'm, I'm surrounded by marketing copy, branding copy, and, you know, just a whole bunch of other things. So I'm surrounded by both marketing copy, advertising copy, you know, proprietary blends. And even back then, there are patented ingredients, initial right. studies and things like that. And, uh, you know, um, back then, the landscape was different as well, right? It was more about, like, being able to get away with way more, right? Like before, <laughs> way more with way less. Way more with way less, right? Like you were given an edge with the pHs, you were given an edge with the designer stems, you were given an edge with how demonitored the internet was at that point, which it isn't today, and mm -hmm. so which we can touch on that later. But um, I would say it was it was just those three factors of being interested personally because. A little bit about me, like I'm a very competitive person if I'm interested and engaged, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm interested and engaged, I can be the most competitive person in the world. Like growing up, if I had a high level of engagement in something, I made it so that, that I would become the best at it, not just in myself, but like I love to actively compete against other people as right. well. Like that translated through gaming, you know, esports, it translated through my positioning of how I am operating at a personal level. Mm -hmm. Like, I won't release something preemptively. Like, if it may, means like making money for that day's end, I'll work like five years without any pennies to, to make sure that I articulate what I believe is the correct or, or, or best version of what there could be. I right. want to build that depth before I go into the to the presentation because I think the presentation is what leaves the impression. Yeah. And it doesn't give you that discovery period to identify flaws. So, I mean, that, that was just my mentality even then is, is, is yes, there are issues, but it was more about like motivation and, and what I can do with these. And, you know, I was kind of like a pilgrim and I was like, I need to go back to the, you know, kind of like the motherland of all this. And to me, it was like, you know, the combination of learning Chinese and going to China to see where do these ingredients come from, all these ingredients, right? Like not just uh, our ingredients, but 100% of the companies out there confidently, I can say, use at least one Chinese source raw material ingredient, right? Sure. Like, it, that's where it makes sense to produce. So I wanted to go there, understand supply chain, underground, uh, understand integration, vertical integration, understand the different <coughs> levels of uh, business operations before I would even think of doing anything on my own. Like, I, like so, I mean, just just tying it all back to you know how we were up and running. I mean, it was it was it was great, right? Like you know, uh, brick and mortar was the model of choice back then, right? Like mm -hmm. even Cellucor was still in brick and mortar back then. They hadn't even reached out to Bodybuilding.com right. at that point yet. But then, like in the tenure of our uh, brick and mortar store, which was about two or three years later, they reached out to Bodybuilding, and it was kind of like that 
first brand to be so disruptive sort of thing that they scale their brand through brick and mortar and then go online. Yeah. Physical footprint to digital footprint, right? Like they were the first ones to actually pioneer it. You have a lot of brands nowadays you know, that are doing physical footprint to digital footprint, but they're not being clear about their intentions. Right. They, they do it subtly, like they do it on broken promises, empty handshakes, you know, and uh, um, they're just like, yeah, we're in it for this for you, but once the brand has scaled, they bring it online, and then the, the physical is in a position to be forced to carry that brand, because sure. they've already like implemented it into the customer's DNA. Yeah. So, I mean, transparency was always key for us, and being exposed to e-commerce and the power of e-commerce and having my level of familiarity with e-commerce even before starting all of this, you know, um, having my first website when I was 12, I was ready for it. You know, I think uh, life has kind of like positioned me in a way uh, innately to, to kind of be blessed to, to be surrounded by the e-com side, the passion side, the interest side, and then obviously like going on my journey to China and then coming back with that motivation to really start OL and understanding. So you, you had brick and mortar. Uh, you guys had one location, did well, you started selling online via e-commerce platforms or e-commerce channels as well. When did you get tired of selling other people's supplements and say, listen, this is time for, it's time for me to do my own thing? I think uh, within the first month, right? Like outside of e-com, like outside of Amazon, we made our first website and I ended up making another website. And after one month, I was like, why am I selling, you know, another company's products when I know who owns this company, how engaged they are, what their passion is, what their intention is, and I myself can do it better, right? Like, why am I going to be in the crowd when I could be in the competitor's seat myself? And so I took that mentality and, you know, took that risk, took all my savings and my wife's savings, and we put it down and, you know, like, we made the ultimate, you know, right. uh, guy, like, in, like, informed gamble. Yeah, because it wasn't a gamble of sorts, right? Like it was based off of like understanding unique propositions that we wanted, and we found gaps in the market that we identified. Like a lot of products weren't advertised properly or formulated properly to the sense that, like you know, a lot of them were supplying 20 days when somebody needed 30 days of a product, or they needed a certain dose of this ingredient, right. and they were forced to like be in a position where brand just didn't care because it would disrupt their global supply chain model. And, you know, like people need to understand that if there's new science that comes out about a new dose of, you know, ingredient A, mm -hmm. the normal company is not going to change their dose because that means they need to change their NPN process for Canada. They need to change their product registration process globally and then worry about their stock. But we were a small company, so we were always able to take emerging science, integrate it into products, find ways to clinically dose it. Thank God, you know, like at that time there was a spokesperson for it in right. Chips Dampani. And, you know, there were people doing it all along, but it was never, it was never articulated as being important or positioned as being Correct. important. It was always as like, oh, clinical doses, well, that's not better branding than ultra concentrate, right? Like, but then people started Skin understanding. Bumps. Yeah, and then people started understanding that you know that clinical doses are more important. You know because the the internet, the the consensus of the internet started becoming more informed. But you know um, globally it didn't rub well, right? Because right? like just because our audience, our target demographic became informed, you know like uh, that doesn't mean globally mm -hmm. it did, right? Like what was a true uh, twenty serving formula marketed as forty servings before and became a twenty serving 
did well, you know, in the U.S., but it didn't do shit in, in, in the global. Yeah. And that's because they go off of servings. Yeah. They don't go off of, uh, don't go off of clinical doses. The first thing they see is serving and cost per serving. And so, like, you know, that's, it's a challenge that a lot of companies faced in making the move. It's still clinical. a challenge in America, too. I still it think is. a lot of consumers here in the U.S. look at cost per flavor and cost per serving as, like, one and two, interchangeable, maybe. Yeah. So, like, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a mindset that we have as people purchasing something. And what I like about OL is you guys have always, when, when asked about, if we ask other influencers in the space, say like Stacked or Price Power or whoever, about what, what comes to mind when you think of Olympus Labs, the first word that everybody always says is you guys are innovative. You're the first company to bring certain ingredients to market. Um, you talked earlier about how you would go to China and you would discover some of these ingredients or see some of these ingredients. That's an advantage that you have, I think, over a lot of other brands is you can speak the language, you can actually work with these manufacturers to maybe negotiate better pricing to be able to have these really intricate formulas using really high quality ingredients, but keep it at the same price point as the mass brands out in the market. Is, was that kind of like your goal all along? Yeah, definitely having um, an integrated supply chain is an innate competitive advantage of ours and right. it allows us to offer more for the same price that competitors do because if we're absorbing savings, then you're absorbing those right. savings as well. Um, I think uh, as a brand, we've learned that it is a definite advantage, but it isn't good enough for the brand to like kind of like fly to the sky, right? Like, so what we've what we've like realized and internalized about that advantage is for us to keep what got us out there in the market as part of our heritage, mm -hmm. of course. But it isn't like we've realized that making products our brand identity isn't the right step to scale or sustain our business to newer audiences or, you know, really achieve a branding message that is functional mm -hmm. across branding mediums and product mediums as according to other industries. Like, it is just like, I think in this year that we've, it's, it, and it's taken time, right? Like, we've gone through phases of the rebrand that we're talking about right now and, and different variations and understandings and evolved our thinking into getting to where we are that, you know, formulations and supply chain advantages and purity and all these things, in my opinion, should be forgiven. And, and they should be for, for granted, right? Like, they should definitely be there. You, we should definitely be using licensed ingredients because they have that grass, you know, right. level. Uh, they have that grass level sustainability to allow them to be legal and legally compliant and not just be a victim to another FDA letter. Right. But, I think that like what we've realized is, is that really it's 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 a given, right? Like real differentiation is not built around the product and the transactional relationship. It's built around the user. Mm -hmm. Now, like the challenge in in making your brand, you know, centered around the user requires you to have a story in your brand that relates to the to the consumer or target consumer. Right. In our industry there's too much of a one-size-fits-all solution. We can go and incorporate minimalist packaging and you know, say that our products are for doctors and gamers and, and athletes. And Well, when you look at other functional industries, you wouldn't see a lawyer go to H&M and buy you know, their, their, their suit for court cases. They're going to Hugo Boss, right. right? Because that message in the branding and the advertising is clear, mm -hmm. right? People can see it, but they can't see that in in supplement brands. Sure. They're trying to capture everybody, but they're losing 
who they're really supposed to be going after. And we're going, I know we're going to talk a lot about the future of OL, and I want to get to that in a bit. Um, I think what, we're, what, what you're trying to say is like clinical dosages and amazing formulas alone are not enough to build a brand to where you probably want it to be. I mean, if that was the case, uh, look at Cellucor, for instance, right? Like their formulas aren't anything special. Love the brand, but like there's nothing crazy special about it. They're the number one selling pre-workout in the world, right? Like, I mean, so um, consumers, there's a, there's a group of consumers who care about efficacious dosaging and clinical dosaging and great ingredients, and you speak to those consumers. How do you get more people into the brand then? I mean, and, and don't, like, we, we're one of the only brands to have a chief science officer who has gotten not one, but a few ingredients past different <coughs> compliance you know, um, regulatory uh, checks, right? Mm -hmm. Like, when we're talking about getting ingredients approved into certain organizations right. and getting, like, uh, elevating ingredients from, from, you know, finding them to, to, to guiding them, we're one of the only companies to do that. And we've, we've done it, like, with a few different partners now to get ingredients that were never allowed in their ecosystem to get them in because of providing the substantiation that no other company was able to provide by doing the research. Do consumers give a shit about that stuff? They don't, but we do want to make it clear that, that we haven't made it part of our brand identity to, to make it a big deal, but internally, we've internalized that it is important for us to be cutting edge, and in order to be cutting edge, we have to be leading, and in order to be leading, we have to have the ecosystem internally to do these things. Sure. They're not just coming, you know, down from the sky, we have that in place and we have budget allotted to that, to R&D, because we truly care about being cutting edge, but we've only put that as part of our heritage perspective. Mm -hmm. We haven't made it like, this is why our brand is better, because that's not really the approach that we're taking anymore by being our brand is the best. If you don't take our brand, well then you suck. We're trying to make it so, as you said, to answer your question, surrounded around the user by saying, look, first and foremost, like our products and our supplements and the transactional relationship that we have are all secondary. Mm -hmm. Number one, we want to be able to identify who it is that is our target audience and, who, and maybe even differentiate it by series of products. Maybe this series is good for this audience maybe this series is good for this audience so we've segmented it in some regards but it's all in the back back it's all, it's all the secondary position yeah our primary positioning to attract people is to make our whole mantra user-centric mm -hmm. now when you come to the website number one you'll find a look and feel that resonates with the culture of what you would imagine a lifestyle company would be sure. to combine elements of supplements fashion and athleisure. Mm -hmm. We want to look at you inside and outside the gym, and because we care that much and build that much depth in our strategy, we want to demonstrate to you that we're not looking at you as this one-dimensional character who's just here on our website to transact, leave, and not come back. Right. We're trying to be able to integrate you into what we think is cultural resonation in some meaningful capacity and that's not to say to alienate any demographic because when you leave things broad, you, you, you create things that can attract certain demographics that aren't your mm -hmm. primary target audience. Like our older demographic will appreciate that the clinical doses are there, that right. the max dose dynamine is there, that the, 
the health benefits are there, the functionality of the supplements right. is there. The branding may not appeal to you, but the functionality may. Right. And if you're a user who has a user-independent opinion, we're hoping that we've created enough, enough attraction in the, in the isolated parts of the brand that you'll still continue mm -hmm. to buy it. But the best way, in our opinion, to attract new users is to make it user-centric, identify you know, what it is, in our opinion, first and foremost, is a healthy lifestyle, depict that, and then be like, okay, so what are your goals? Right. Right? Let's not talk about our product being the best. Let's, let's walk the walk and a little bit less talk to talk, sure. right? Like, let's, let's make the products really retain when you use them, but how do you even get the customer to buy the product before you even talk about retaining them, right? And that's in branding. So everything is surrounded in our content marketing strategy around the user and what their goals are and what the product's function is mm -hmm. and how it helps accomplish the problems that this user is experiencing in their life. And it also, as a lifestyle company, helps give you diversified options into kind of allowing yourself to find not only just your needs in the gym, but also translating them outside and finding things, merch and right. apparel and higher end stuff that you would need in your life in different settings that you, the same user who goes to the gym, would need. It's funny that we talk about what OL is becoming. Because when you started, you weren't that. You weren't yeah. even close to that. So you mentioned you and your wife put up the money to start the brand. I want to bring up your wife for a second too, because a lot of people don't understand. Like she's very hands-on with this company too. Like there is a female behind yourself and next to yourself running Olympus Labs with you, and I think that's important because so many people listening and watching just think it's a male-centric business and there's not females involved. What I also love is like your wife is Chinese, you're Middle Eastern. Like you are, you don't fit the bill of a sports nutrition company ownership team. Like you don't. You're different in a good way, and I think it's very important that those watching or listening to this understand that. And how important is it for you and Layla to like embrace your diversification compared to what the rest of the industry is and put your personal touch on this brand? Yeah, I mean, and not just only us, the team is consisted of professionals and people who have interests in fitness and the gym. And, you know, honestly, it just goes back to when the brand was created. It was based off of value propositions that I thought were important. So honestly, OL was in the beginning created off of personal needs, right. personal needs of that grassroots environment, ecosystem that I saw was the major opinion, right? Like there's ways to, to um, articulate what that opinion is. Start with that in any sort of grassroots level business. Take the voice that isn't being heard, implement it, market it, advertise it, and make it the voice of the common mm -hmm. consumer, right? Like that's how you rally. And so that thinking over time, because I became an informed and educated consumer and business owner myself, it became more about the totality of the ecosystem that buys supplements, whether they go to the gym or not. Right. Like a lot of people don't understand. People use pre-workout when studying, mm -hmm. but it's marketed as a pre-workout, right? Right? Like I was using a pre-workout in college, right? Like you know, to 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 study or do exams and stuff like that. So we want to we want to first, you know, um, identify that that. A lot of OL has gone off of based off of my evolution of fitness and you know my interpretation of what clinical formulas and that being the most important thing about a brand to you know like what else is appealable right mm -hmm. like and making that 
making my propositions more about the heritage of the company and being important to the foundation, but really creating something that has way more depth beyond the product, yeah. having a brand meaningful story, having a story that resonates with this audience, right? This is a digital era. This audience is highly engaged. They want to know the brand. They want to know the owner. They want to know everything. Mm -hmm. So we've really made it about every consumer, really, no matter if they're in, no matter if they're into going to the gym, fitness, into cognitive enhancement, we want to get rid of that stigma that supplements equate to, you know, bodybuilding and bodybuilding is steroids. So this is it. The new flavor is in production as we speak. We've been hyped about this for months and the time is finally here. So let's go check it out. In here. This is it. Galaxy Burst. This flavor has a burst of candy with a hint of tart, leaving your taste buds begging for more. It's fruity and creamy, yet sweet and tangy. After months of testing and formulations, this galactic flavor is sure to take over the galaxy. Now let's give it a try. So good. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, time to go. Ghost Apparel. Nine different pieces in total. Fresh new apparel every month. We're gonna restock. Boom. Ghost. Legend. Ricky! Yes. Red versus blue. Looks great, Marissa. I think this would be perfect for Bollywood. If it does, we're shopping. Because when Olympus Labs started, you were a hardcore brand. Oh, yeah. Hardcore, hard, I mean, you're a hardcore brand strictly for gym goers, strictly for bodybuilders. You were in, uh, I mean, Hardcore pre-workouts, Andros, all legal, 100% legal, but that's, that's the avenue that you started off with. Olympus Labs, like the name even resonated with it. And I, I look at what your brand has done over the years and where you're going with it. And it's almost like a, a child matures into a young man or an adult from what you're doing with it. Because you're also a brand that used, at the time, they're all legal compliant ingredients, but now they're on a dietary advisory supplement list. But you knew that was coming. And as you formulate now and you're looking forward to 2019, 2020, it looks like you're using ingredients, which I won't give away, that probably are never going to end up on this list. Like you're becoming more of a functional health sort of, like you're talking about health first company versus like hardcore gym going. Yeah. Where did that click in your mind? Like at what point did you mature as a formulator and as a brand to make that decision to change your... I think uh, the analogy that I'll give it is, is that when you're a child and you're a superstar prodigy and then you either end up not meeting those expectations or you end up superseding those expectations or... 
another analogy, like your number one prospect coming out of college, right? And mm -hmm. then, you know, people are like, is he going to be a bust or is he going to be, you know, like how they're talking about Zion, right? right. Like, is he the next LeBron or is he the, is he the next Kwame Brown, right? right? So um, yeah. I think it was at the point of where the company was in its origin, right? Like of being more hardcore but, mm -hmm. but legal. And then uh, post Daska, when a lot of companies around us were just closing up shop, dying, and not making any attempts mm -hmm. at mainstream. Right. And we came out in 2015, you know, swinging, right? Yeah. Like, we went from being the most respected hardcore company on AM to being the most respected mainstream company on AM. And back then, AM was a big, you know, yeah. audience, right? Like, we came out with award-winning formulas, right? Like, never-before-seen ingredients, you know, and we adapted. We, we have always thought that if the playing field was even in this industry, there is no doubt on the formulation side, we would articulate ourselves. We would articulate our way to get to the front of the pack. But before, whether it be resources or it be really deep level of realization, we were still under the impression that our formulas would end up being our trump card mm -hmm and enabling us to really capture that bigger piece of the pizza pie, but it just didn't come. And when it doesn't come, you know, um, when, when, you're, when you're still accepted by the same demographic, but you still don't grow, because hardcore is niche, right? Yeah, very And much niche so. is much smaller, right? A lot right? of money, a lot right? of money in hardcore, yeah. sure. And mainstream is also, like, if you're capturing that hardcore audience who also buys mainstream products, so you're capturing mainstream hardcore niche, mm -hmm. and you're capturing a little bit of more mainstream, but you're not capturing mainstream mainstream, yeah. you really have to start wondering why. If it isn't your formulas, then what is it, right? And so that is the realization that we made throughout these years as we look at our numbers, we look at our plateau, and we realize that there is a certain level of assumptive thinking that goes along the process of brand building mm -hmm. that, hey, internally, like we understand why we're doing this, right? Like our animated story labels right. all told a story, right? Like every single one of those was hand-drawn. It told a story, but at the end of the day, like it was just too much to comprehend. Sure. You have to, you have to make an impression before you even comprehend. And yeah. it, it, a picture should be able to, you know, uh, make a thought before you even right. start to think why. And that's right? why, like, what I like. General impression. You know, I, I talked about your brand maturing, and you as an individual have matured quite a bit too. Like you and I started a relationship several years ago, and you were, had a very distinct mindset then, completely different now, which is resonating in what you're doing with the brand. I mean, and what I like about... I remember, you, I remember. I, I, I actually emailed Brian. I was a little <laughs> angry. I was like, you know, how dare you like not rate Blood Shred Raw better than this shitty product? Yeah. I, like, I don't, we don't even talk about competitors anymore. Like, we just talk about like elevated, elevated levels of business strategy that don't exist in this realm, that exist in others. And you just have to grab it, you have to grasp it, you have to go out and understand it. And yeah. like when you're, when you're stuck in a bubble, you're just gonna be like in that bubble and that bubble-like mentality. But the minute that you start like opening up your, you know, your vision and, you know, being exposed to other industries and, you know, um, going to multiple marketing meetings and brand marketing and digital marketing and e-commerce marketing and being in a mastermind, you start to understand, wow, there's just so much that could be done mm -hmm. that A, isn't being done by anybody in the industry at a certain level or B, like, hey, if I did this, 
it's going to require time. It's going to require effort and resources that a lot of traditional supplement companies don't have. Right. But if you do it right, then you're talking about just exponentiating your, your brand's valuation just right off the bat. Yeah. Right? Like death, brand story, presentation, elevation, you know, building funnels and assets and retention and all these strategies before you present something. And, you know, like in, in, in our day and age, there's a lot of companies who are making product and they do a pre-sale, right? Mm -hmm. Does a pre-sale allow them to make the product, you know, send it off to a content photographer, get some nice assets, add it to the website, sure. do a nice little email with real graphics versus Photoshop, and then get that level of, you know, maturation across your brand? Yeah. No, but like we're, we're, we're starting to really, really look outside the box and be like, look, there are some, some people in this industry that we think are doing a great job and there are some people who are truly just stuck in a bubble. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's really like from the outside that I think even the companies that are doing well are looking at and we are looking at, at taking because I raised this conundrum earlier is, is that why is it that, that our industry is one of the only industries that doesn't have branded stores. Optimum being as big as it is, why doesn't it have a box store? Sure. Right? Like, why can't people just go buy Optimum? Because it's just a product. Mm -hmm. It's just a product. In order to become a box store, which is a, is a goal of ours, is to truly first become experiential, is to become something memorable, mm -hmm. and is something to become like, close to the consumer that brings them there. Right. And it's not the physical product there is something else in that recipe that other companies have done digitally mm -hmm. in other industries. Yeah. Untucket, for example. Untucket, right? Warby Parker. I mean, there's, there's plenty of different brands you can talk plenty, about. Plenty, plenty. And, you know, we want to truly be that brand that, that brings people to the stores, whether it be for the culture, the music, the product, the apparel, the athleisure, the combination. You know, there's a reason why people go to Adidas stores, right? right. Like, what, what is it? The, it's something, right? It's the experience, yep. it's, the, it's the product, it's everything. It's what it makes you feel. Yeah. Right. What is Optimum going to do? Play yeah. like, you know, gym music or <laughs> yeah. like yeah. really like, you know, so in, in, in our industry, what we have em imminent to us. There you go. <laughs> what we have imminent to us is only poor most of the time. There are some great ones supply chain solutions, mm -hmm. right? Like if you're, if you're an H&M, right? Like you have your website and you have your branded stores. You can't be found at Macy's. Sure. If you're another luxury brand, let's say uh, Louis Vuitton is found at some Macy's. So, so Louis Vuitton online, you know, it's got its own stores right. and especially high, high end areas, right? Like in right. Manhattan and, yep. and Beijing and Shanghai and the, the busy streets, Hong Kong, right? right. And that's to like imprint that the, the prices you're paying on our brand yeah. is because we're on the street. And you know, you, you know the rent here, yeah. it's, it's expensive. Yeah. That's why you're paying this much. You know, I went to, I went to the Chanel in Hong Kong. They, they had a line of Up people to get in because there's so many people going in at once. They have mm -hmm. to monitor people. Yeah. So there's a line of people waiting to get in. Yeah, Spain right? like that too with our places. Right, like in, in, when I went to uh, Black Friday shopping, Zara had no sales, but it was the busiest store in the mall, mm -hmm. right? So. They've created something truly experiential. But Louis Vuitton is carried at Macy's, has its branded stores, and has its, its box stores, right? And um, you have Nike, right? Nike has all three. Yep. Plus, they can be found at flea markets, yeah. right? At flea markets. So in our industry, you have D2C stores, 
you have supply chain solutions like Macy's, like GNC, Vitamin Shop, mm -hmm. right? Multiple, multiple chains, professionally operated. And then you also have the flea market. Yeah. But you don't have box stores. You have the flea market, right? Like, I would call like brick and mortar stores a flea, and flea market sort of model for a supply chain, right? Like, it's local, it's convenient, you should go in and be able to get a good price, right? What do they do? They want to upsell you. Yeah. They want to sell for more expensive. Now, could you go, imagine going to Nike and buying a pair of whatever it is that you're going there and paying more? No, the whole purpose is to get it for less, mm -hmm. right? But no, we, we need to figure out the... Because the internet has become so dominant and Amazon has become so dominant, we truly have to figure out how to create this functionality in the industry. And there needs to be efforts put forward. And people are just taking it as it goes. People are upset with one another. There are brands out there that are starting up from scratch, scaling their businesses, mm -hmm. shaking hands with brick and mortar. Um, brands are sending in traffic to these stores like BSN, Optimum, being converted for brick and mortar exclusive brands that later go on to go online as well anyways. Right. But like, you know, there are just so many different supply chain issues that we want to just be like, look, there are so many issues. It's not our job to fix that. What we're going to do is focus on us, focus on, you know, um, creating a really strong brand and brand identity and, you know, figuring out strategic partnerships um, that align with us and just focusing on acclimating our brand to the point where it can become experientially enough create such a large digital footprint where we can start looking at our data and being like, this would be a great location mm -hmm. to open up our first box event, box door. Sure. Doing brand partnerships you know, that, that meet the cultural standards of our, of our branding, right? Like mm -hmm. there are so many industries in influencing that aren't touched and fitness is so saturated now, like everybody's following fitness and you know, that's not a good way to market anymore. Um, there are so many like icons, right? Like, and brands are starting to do it. Like John Cena with with brand. Uh, yeah, there are some actors with the brand now and stuff like that. Yep. There's a reason to that madness. That audience is untapped. Mm -hmm. It makes sense. Whatever is endorsed will work. Oh yeah. You know, and, and so like there are a lot of other deeper level thinking conversations that can be applied to this. But there's a lot of what can be done to truly like create a brand that is so experiential that can stand on its own but there is no current brand that is capable of doing it, but they may be able to do it one day if they continue following the right strategy of making the product second and really making it about user experience and all the different engagement right. and things like that and making something that you know is attracted just by the brand name and not by the product name. What I like, you said, what can be done. And that's a mindset that you have adapted with OL because recently like DMHA, for instance, found itself on the dietary advisory supplement list You've used it, Jay Regia, which is a great ingredient. But instead of saying, like, oh my God, what do I do now? You said, what can be done? And you reformulated. And now you're, the new formulas, when they come out, um, are going to be fully compliant, obviously. But like, that's the mindset that I think a lot of people in this industry don't have. It's like, why is the government getting involved? Like, what are we going to do now? You're taking away my favorite ingredient. Yeah. And you're adapting with it. Instead of sitting here and complaining and wasting you know, your energy and time and effort complaining, you're putting it back into the brand and the product, which is great. Yeah. Um, I want to. We're going to talk about all future OL here in one second. But I ask you one more question too. We talked, touched on it earlier about how you and your wife have this company. You with Middle Eastern, um, obviously ties. You found it hard being Middle Eastern within this space in the supplement industry. Because the reason why I ask that is because 
your, your email signature once upon a time was like an Americanized name, right? Like, because people wouldn't respond to you with your real name, which I think is just a travesty in this country. Have you had any issues with it? Like in 2019, is it something you find as, as, as a problem? Because that's a real life thing that I want to talk about. Like this isn't fitness or supplement related, but it's a real life issue that we still face in this country, which is a, a goddamn shame. The fact that you felt you needed to have like a pen name so people would respond to you, it's ridiculous. I think uh, personally, like growing up, like being in a small community and a diversified community, um, my, my, my friends were really like, my meaningful friends, like I remember were, were everybody who went to the gym, right? Like after the gym, we would go to Cadova's or have Mexican food or, or really like bond. And, and they came from old lights of, uh, you know, um, and, and faces. Um, personally, I think because I have shown humility to the consumer and made the brand around the consumer, I personally haven't received any um, brand level hate um, or, or noticed it. Maybe there has been, but the reason for the different name was because there, there, there's a level in, in business maturity you want to present to the customer when I myself am running the company's you know, operations, branding, customer service, and you know, all, those, all these different things. Like, it's kind of like, to certain consumers, it, it depicts like a, oh, he's too small of a company. Like, I don't trust him if, if the CEO is doing customer sure. service or you know, if, if he's doing like, you know, formulations and he's doing branding and he's doing, you know, all this different stuff. And, you know, um, it's, I think it just plays to that high level of entrepreneurial spirit that a lot of us, you know, I would say in the 2013, 14 age have had to play, right? Like right. if you talk to some of the, the, the brand owners that have rose since that time, they at all one point handled all levels of operations, mm -hmm. customer service. I know there's a time I heard an owner say that he had to drop off a package to the UPS store, the mailbox. You know, like we've all worn hats internally, but externally we want to present a level of business maturation that look, we are like your other industry that we have like 20 employees. There are times that I've thought that, you know, to the, to the outside, <coughs> we're a lot bigger than we are from the inside. From oh, the yeah. inside we have less than 10, 10, 10, 10 team members now. And um, we all wear so many different hats because that is generally what is expected in a startup culture. And you know, I've, I've had so many hires fired faster than they've, they've been hired because <laughs> they haven't been able to adapt to like, hey, you don't need a certain level of education, but you need a certain level of experience, technical skill, and hustle. Yeah. And you gotta get shit done. Get shit done, you're, exactly. You know, if you're not getting shit done, like, you're fired. Yeah. And if you are getting shit done, I don't care if you have a high school degree, your cap, your, your ceiling is where you want it to be. Right. Right? Like everybody has a floor and everybody has a ceiling, mm -hmm. right? Like, like I personally believe my ceiling is very high and my floor is like hopefully going to rise. But like, I, I think a lot of people have high ceilings, yeah. but you know, uh, like Kawhi Leonard, man, like basketball analogies, it's NBA draft season. I mean, nobody expected him to be who he is today. He, he was, uh, he was, you know, not a prospective no. person out of the draft, right? Like, same thing with Clay Thompson, you know, like a lot of basketball players are ignored. A lot of people on paper, they end up becoming busts. Yeah. And so like, I think like it was more out of humility for having to wear so many different hats. But look, outside of the fitness community, when, when like personally speaking, when 9-11 happened, 
you know, I received a ton of hate, you yeah, know, from no, people and you're, and you're just, hearing, you're yeah, not far from New York City, yeah, like where we're at right yeah, now, so. yeah, like I was riding on a scooter one day, and somebody just yells at me to go back to my own country, and yeah. I'm just like, but I was born here, right. you know, like, I'm, I'm a bro, this is like, your country, yeah, like, growing up, I was in a fraternity, you know, I was socially acclimated, I would say, you know, I'm, I, I was as, like, you know, uh, integrated into American society, born here, and stuff like that, I never really personally felt that, hey, I'm Middle Eastern, but I also um, grew up in a, in a community that had a lot of people from my background who, whose parents immigrated to this, this town and there was a bubble-like mentality even there. So what you have to realize is, is that like, as an American, sometimes like, there's a bubble like, even within your own background generation and, and the outside yep. and me being as thick-headed as I am and me being like, as you know, um, self-absorbed and like, you know, naturally surrounding myself around hobbies that involve like me time, yep. like the gym or building a business. I did these things like in my lab, right? Like in my, in my mind, like not like, yeah, I'm a social person. Like I love to go out and have a break, but, and I love to feed off of other people's energies. But when it comes to like other people's opinions, like not to like sound arrogant, but like, it's like, you know, there's not a lot of people who have accomplished what I've accomplished in the time I have. And, uh, you know, like it takes a certain level of, uh, achievement for somebody to really yeah. like make an impression on me. Let's talk Olympus Labs here as we finish up the podcast. Um, a lot of noise in 2019 in terms of like what's going on with the brand, where are they at, haven't heard much. There's a buy one, get one free on the protein, blood shreds coming off the website. Like we've, we've talked about, you know, we released a label and design for a new look. Uh, I believe it was uh, Levels was the one we released back in, maybe it was February, March. Yeah, um, the, uh, you know, as recently yeah. as the Arnold. Yeah, and recently in, in June, you guys were um, the main sponsor at a electronic dance music festival in Queens here in New York. It wasn't Olympus Labs; it said Olympus Lifestyle. What's going on, Moby? What's going on with the brand? People want to know. Yeah. So first and foremost, um, with labs um, and 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 product formulation, as Ryan was saying earlier, we've internally and externally made the decision that like. Going forward, we're only either using branded ingredients, licensed ingredients, or patented ingredients that have grass and DHSEA substantiation. And just for those listening, grass is like generally regarded as safe, it's good stuff, and then the second part is it's just like regulation, making sure that this stuff is going to be compliant. And we're going to the limits of participating in BSCG's uh, banned substance testing group yep. and to, to certify that our uh, products are all banned substance free, making them applicable to be used by athletes or any drug tested, you know, personnel. So meaning like products crafted for everyone. Sure. So there's no question like I am a drug tested athlete. Can I take this? Yes. Cause the seal will be on there at launch. Right. And so, I mean, this was a decision that was easy to make because we've, we've been in the game for a while. We've realized that no matter what you do, if the plateau isn't changing, it's not what you're doing that is the issue, it's what you're not doing. And I think looking at like other brands just spring forward with not having these acute advantages of like ingredients and formulas, we've realized, you know, like we'd be dumb not to realize that it's not about the formula. Formula is like secondary as long as it's, you know, good and like actually like superior, that's a great advantage to have as a brand that I always like to have. Like I always want to have the strongest hand going into anything, right. but it's the way you show the hand, right? Like 
It's the way you preserve your hand, it's the way you show it, it's the way you win. And so while it is a tool, it is not the means to the end. And the means for us is creating a functional brand story catered to our target audience of millennials and Generation Z. So 18 to almost 40 yeah. years old is the technical definition of a millennial. And we think that if we cultivate our identity around the culture of these people, you know, through music, through interests, through cross-channeled audiences and interests, and you know, depict a healthy lifestyle, um, a uniform lifestyle, because you know there are a lot of like things in lifestyle that need to be addressed, right? Like when you go to the gym, you're surrounded by healthy lifestyle choices, and you listen to music. When you go to listen to music at a club, you're surrounded by alcohol, which is a downer, which is a contradiction of what you're trying to do. So, do you know that our supplements have a place in this ecosystem? to create that parallel and uniform right. healthy lifestyle. So health, fitness is definitely still the, the priority, but it's, it's very subliminal. It's very sublime. It's not positioned up. Like We're not really doing content in the gym. We're not segmenting as a brand. We're, health doesn't mean the gym, really. Mm -hmm. It means spiritual, physical, and mental balance, right? right? Like That is health. Now, if users post our products in the gym, great. We will repost those. Right. But as a brand, we want to be inviting. We want to be endearing. We don't want to be. We don't want to, you know, scare off customers who stuck in that supplements and bodybuilding and steroids kind of stigma. So we we've taken labs and really made it our heritage and and and, and transitioned it to part of lifestyle. And lifestyle will be, you know, what we believe is our definition of a healthy lifestyle. Cool, fun, you know, exciting, branded well, you know, um, and just articulated at a sense that combines fast supplement mentality, fast fashion, uh, athleisure, trend setting, trend adapting, you know, uh, inviting. We're not just going to have one look. Yeah. We're going to have multiple looks, you know, in people and models and selection. Not use the influencer model um, and really build it around our brand story and, and elevate it that way versus the superficial influencer sure. way of you know, incorporating it. We may, we may have an influencer, but we're, that is so minor compared to, that is because we think that they align with what we've set right. up, but they're not doing anything for us in material value. So lifestyle is really, is very in depth. It has a lot of substance. Um, relation, resonation, um, and very exciting, you know, and, and, and what we're doing on the product side, on the branding side, on the apparel side. So when can, when can we expect Olympus Lifestyle to come to life? Like, is it still going to be in 2019? Yeah, so we're expecting brand to launch um, the look, the feel, the products in some capacity and form during the Olympia of this year. We're planning on doing something experiential. We did that musical... Um, we did that musical event Best, yeah. because we wanted to position our brand properly into a setting um, where, you know, um, look, like a lot of the people at this place, at this venue, listen to music. A lot of people listen to music at the gym. But again, like, you know, health transitions from the gym to, to all aspects yeah. of your life. So wanted to show that, um, you know, we want to be a brand that, that really first captivates the coolness mm -hmm. in people's eyes versus, you know, I need these products, you know, like, and we don't just want to have that relationship with our consumers. We want to be a brand that is meaningful, um, is cool, 
and helps them achieve their yeah. fitness goals. All I know is I've seen some stuff today I can't talk about. It's really cool. I'm looking forward to everything you guys are going to do here later this year. I think it's a, a massive step in the right direction for this brand, for the industry. So you've done some really cool stuff. I think people are going to be surprised when they see it, but in a very good way. So congratulations, yeah. first and foremost. Uh, and we're stoked for it. And it looks way different than what's out in the market right um, now. I mean, people, people, I mean, even like the stuff we posted back in March or whatever, people are like, wait, what? What's going on here? Yeah. So um, it's, it's going to blow some of your guys' minds on, on some of the stuff they're doing, which is really cool. So, dude, it's good to get to chat with you and hopefully... People listening, watching, got to get to know who King Moby is a little bit more. Yeah, yeah he rolls his eyes now. See, he, the King Moby thing—is it? Are we, are we gonna retire the King Moby jersey? I don't know, man. You know, might become. Yeah, you might. It's, you'd be the king of the palace here soon again. Yeah, yeah. Kings rule forever, right? That's right. Yeah. So appreciate, it, buddy. <laughs> Take it easy. Yeah. All right, guys. That was Moby, CEO of Olympus Labs, Olympus Lifestyles. I, I love these. I love these podcasts because really, it gives you an opportunity to hear the story behind the brands. And something like a brand like Olympus Labs, where their tagline is, what's your story? Here's Moby's story. Here's the story of Olympus Labs, Olympus Lifestyle. So really, really hope that you got some perspective on who Moby is and what he represents and his vision for this brand moving forward, because I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are fans of the brand, as you should be. They have great formulas, great, effective products. We've, re we've reviewed so many of them over at F5. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud to call him a friend. I'm, I'm proud I'm associated with the brand. I'm proud that we work with the brand here at Fitness Informant. I'm very excited to see what they have coming out here in back half 2019 and what they're going to bring to market for all of you because it's going to be exciting stuff. There's a lot of exciting stuff that happens this time of year with the Olympia in September. Brands like to push out new launches around that. Same with the Arnold in March. We saw a lot of stuff in March that came to market. But the Olympia is another time because it's in Vegas. They like to celebrate. Uh, it's going to be an epic time. And I fully imagine that we see something from Olympus Lifestyles right around the Olympia time, which is going to be September 12th through the 15th is when we're going to be down there. So if you liked what you heard, hit that subscribe button. Write us a review. It helps up the algorithm for the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to our social media channels. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. Next week, we have Greg Helton, Chief Marketing Officer over at Muscle Sport. He handles several brands. He handles several duties. He's a good dude, good friend of mine. Uh, well, I was in Jersey slash Long Island for Greg anyway at Muscle Sport. We hit up Bev's Powerhouse Gym there. I hit it up twice. He hit up once. We crushed shoulders. Good dude. It's fun to get out and see these people. I'll be going back to New York a couple times this year, man. It's going to be a busy travel year for me and Fitness and Foreign, but that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring you the behind the scenes stuff, the behind the scenes shit that you don't see and hear on every podcast or YouTube series. So Greg Helton, you may not even heard the name before. And that's fine. Uh, he's very active in our self-made barbell brigade group. He's very active on social media, but it'll give you an opportunity to understand what he looks at from a marketing perspective when it comes to supplements because we've all, we've all purchased a supplement based on some kind of marketing material before. We have. Me, my first one was Mike the Situation, baby, from Jersey Shore. You're damn right. It was an NL booster, and I bought that son of a bitch. I was fucking, I don't know, like 22 years old and an idiot. But now, now I know better. I can look through the marketing, but it's interesting to sit down with another fellow marketer like Greg and discuss with him, like, how do you, how do you promote a product within this industry without deceiving the consumer? And we talk about all that next week. So, again, thank you all for tuning in. We appreciate your support. If you're part of the Transformation Challenge, time to buckle up and, 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 and get ready to go. Eight weeks, baby. Eight weeks is all you need, and it's all we're going to have. And after eight weeks, we're going to find out what the best transformations are. But, again, fall in love with the progress, not this perception of perfection. And let's fucking go.